0: have a seat. This morning we are going to finish up Acts chapter 10. And it seems like we've been in Acts chapter 10 for quite a quite a spell, doesn't it? Um, and basically in the process of finishing up Acts chapter 10 today, I'm going to kind of re-preach last week's sermon a little bit. Um, because there's sort of a, a common thread that's weaving its way through this chapter. And, and as I said a couple weeks ago, I think that this chapter, that chapter 10, is one of the most important passages in scripture. Particularly for us as Gentiles. And, and what, we're, what we're looking at this morning as we close out Acts chapter 10 is, is essentially, it's the Gentile version of Pentecost, right? Right? We're seeing Pentecost 2.0, right, or sort of the reboot. And we're going to see the the, the birth of the Gentile church. Up to this point, the church was comprised entirely of Jews and and maybe converts to Judaism. But the church, as it's referred to at this time, the way, right, was strictly a, a Jewish thing. And what we're going to see this morning is the church begin to branch out into the Gentile world starting here in Caesarea. And you probably remember from a couple weeks back this whole series of events it started when Peter was up on that rooftop in Joppa. Remember he's staying there in the home of Simon the tanner. And it's around lunchtime and he's up there and he's praying and he has a vision. And in that vision, remember, he sees this sheet lowered down from heaven. And on that sheet were all kinds of unclean animals. And the Lord says, Peter, kill and eat. And and Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean. From my youth, I've, I've kept the law. And remember, the Lord replies to him, don't call anything unclean that I have declared clean. And about the same time that Peter's receiving his vision, Cornelius, this uh, Italian centurion, has an encounter with with another angel. Or maybe it's the same angel, I don't know. But the angel says to Cornelius, listen, I want you to go to Joppa. And I want you to go to the home of Simon the Tanner. And I want you to find this particular, to bring him back because he has a, a, a word for you. He'll explain to you what you have to do to be saved. And remember we saw that by all accounts, Cornelius was a good man. He feared the Lord. He helped the poor. He worshiped God. He was a praying man. But we remember we saw that all those good things that he did, it wasn't enough. It didn't matter how good good Cornelius was. It didn't matter how devout he was. It didn't matter how much he gave to the poor. The only thing that would save him was an encounter with Jesus. It wasn't good works. It wasn't good outweighing your bad or anything like that. It was was the gospel alone that could save Cornelius. And so the Lord, he sets up this meeting, this divine meeting between Peter the Apostle, and Cornelius, this Roman military officer. And so two weeks ago, we left off with Cornelius dispatching three of his men to go find Peter. And remember, right as they arrived, the Lord tells Peter, go downstairs. There are some men who are coming for you. I don't want you to hesitate because I have sent them. Now imagine for a minute the perspective of these three guys who Cornelius sent. The boss calls him in and says, listen, i got a mission for you. An angel appeared to me. And he wants me to send you to Joppa, to the home of Simon the Tanner, to find Simon Peter. But it's okay, I had a vision. The guys are probably a little skeptical, right? Walking 30 miles to find this guy that an angel told them to find. And so they're probably the whole way wondering what's going to happen. You know, is Cornelius having a mental episode? You know, what's what's going on here? And they find the house that was described to them. and, And as they're knocking on the door, Peter opens the door. He says, here I am. I'm the one that you guys are looking for. And you can imagine the confirmation that must have been to those guys. And so Peter and some of his guys, we're going to learn later, there was about six of them, they left with Cornelius's three guys and they started walking. And this was about a two-day journey from Joppa to Caesarea, as I said, about 30 miles. And that must have been an interesting walk, right? Peter and these other six guys explaining the gospel on the way, telling them about Jesus. And verse 24, it says, on the following day, They entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he walked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Verse 24 says, that as they arrived, <coughs> Cornelius was waiting for them. Now, I think that tells us something about Cornelius' faith, doesn't it? That he trusted that much that what the Lord said was true, they he invited all of his friends over, believing that Peter was going to show up. I mean, he's putting a lot on the line there, isn't he? You know, a lot of his reputation on the line. And when the entourage arrives, you know, it seems like Cornelius is a little bit excited, right? He's got all his friends there. He's got his family. He's got his servants. He's got his his co-workers. He's got other officers there. They're all gathered up. And Peter gets ready to enter the home. And this is most likely the first time in Peter's life that he's ever entered the home of a Gentile. And this would have been sort of a big thing from a, a, a new thing for a couple of reasons. I have had the prav- privilege of, of traveling quite a bit and, and getting to live abroad for quite a bit of my life. And one thing that I've always found interesting is visiting people's homes in other countries or even visiting foreigners' homes in our own country, right? There's always new customs. It's always interesting to see how people live. You know, people in Russia or in China or in Cuba, they live, I mean, there's some things that are common, of course, but they live very differently in a lot of ways. And you walk into a foreign home and there's different smells and different textures and different sights. I remember when I was 18, I spent a a summer in Shanghai and there was this kid there that I had become friends with, and we, came, we hung out, and, you know, we spent, a, we spent the summer together basically, and towards the end of the summer, he invited me to go home with him and to meet his family. And in Shanghai in the summer, it is, it's blazing hot, very humid. It's sort of the, the, the end of their rainy season, and I remember this particular day, we had to take a, uh, like an hour and a half bus and train ride to get to his house and the bus rides there aren't like bus rides here. You know, most of us don't even use the bus here. But right, you drive by and you see the bus and it's very clean and mostly empty. And you know, and there's there's lots of seats. The buses there were jam-packed full of people. And everybody's like shoulder to shoulder in there. And when it gets time to get off the bus, you have to be thinking about two stops ahead. And you have to start kind of wiggling your way through the crowd and squeezing your way towards the door. So we went through all that, and we got to my friend's house. His English name was Norm. We got to Norm's house, and um, I gave him that name, by the way. Uh, I don't know why I just thought of that, but for some reason, I, we, we, anyway. We got to Norm's house, took off our shoes, and um, his mom rushed out to meet us, and she gave me a steaming hot glass of water to refresh myself after that long journey on that hot day. And, uh, you know, different cultures do things differently, don't they? You know, and we, in modern days, we've seen a lot of other cultures on TV. You know, we've all watched National Geographic specials. We're at least kind of familiar with other cultures, right? It would have been very foreign to Peter. This would have been a very new thing for Peter. And not only was he going to the home of someone of a very different culture, but this man is a centurion. And as a centurion, he would have received up to 16 times the pay of an enlisted soldier. And so he was, while not filthy rich, he was a a, a pretty well-off guy. And this was likely a much nicer home than Peter was used to visiting. You know, I've been in the homes of some, some pretty wealthy people. And it's a little bit intimidating. You know, and not just like upper middle class, but if you go into like somebody's house who's rich. I had a friend whose um, dad was rich, and he had a, a house on Mercer Island. And they were giving Denise and I a tour of the house one time, and my friend took me into the master bathroom and he, and he pushed this button. And it was this big screen TV lowered from the ceiling in front of the bathtub in case you wanted to watch the baseball game or whatever while you were soaking. And, um, and that's a different world, isn't it? Right? That's not what we're used to. That's not to say that I couldn't get used to that given the opportunity. But but we're not used to that kind of living, right? Peter was a poor fisherman, right? This was not in Peter's wheelhouse. You know, and and Peter at this point, he's coming from Simon the Tanner's house, and we talked about how tanners were unclean because their their residents stunk because of all the, the process of tanning hides. You know, so Simon, or Peter's coming, he's probably not well-dressed, he's probably smelling a little funky, and he walks into the home of this rich military officer, and what happens? The guy falls down at Peter's feet, and begins to worship, and what does Peter do? Well, he's the first pope, so he holds out his hands, like three of you got the joke. You know what? Isaiah has this little thing where you push this button and it makes all kinds of sound effects. And one of them is like an applause thing. I'm going to bring that. (laughs) So when I make jokes, I can just push that button. And if nobody else laughs, I'll hold it to my mic so the recording sounds like you guys are laughing. You guys are terrible. Um, So I remember one day, a number of years back, I was um, at the church building of the church that I used to pastor. And we used to do a lot of like cleaning and church maintenance on, um, on Saturdays. And different people from the church would come out and sometimes we'd hire some of the local guys who were hanging out around the church to cut the grass or there had these drains that would go in front of the church that drained out into the sea and they would get filled with garbage and stuff so we'd pay these guys to clean it out. And so this guy was there and he's asking me if, um, if I had any work that he could do around the church. And... Um, and the guy, he wouldn't leave, and the whole time he keeps calling me father, or reverend, reverend, father, or, or you know, all the, all these things. And um, father, do you have any work that I can do? And I tried saying you know, you don't really have to call me father, and and eventually we got to the point where I said, look, we don't have anything for you to do. And, and in Belize, everybody kind of does this thing, and we do it here a little bit too, you know, kind of little fist bump thing, and people do it a little more now in COVID. In Belize, they call it punch out. Everybody you know, does a little punch out, kind of catch you later. And so I said, "Sorry, we don't have any work." And I said, "I'll catch you later." And I went to kind of give him the little punch out, and he grabbed my hand and he bowed and he kissed my hand. <laughs> yes, awkward. It's the first time for everything. So Peter, he walks in, and the, you like that, huh? Uh, so Peter, he walks in, and um, the guy falls down worshiping him. And Peter says, get up. He says, I'm a guy just like you are. It's interesting, there's a statue of Peter. Every time I look at you, she's like cracking up at that. Now I can't quit smiling about it. Thanks, Brittany. Um, there's this statue of Peter in Rome. And on the statue of Peter in the Vatican, his big toe is entirely worn smooth. It's worn off. It's gone. What happens is people would come to the Vatican on their pilgrimages, they would kiss the toe of, of the statue of Peter. And so many hundreds and thousands of people kissed the toe that it was finally, <coughs> excuse me, worn completely smooth. And I was thinking about that. How much Peter, right, this Peter, the, the biblical Peter, would have hated people bowing down and, and kissing the. The, the, the toe of the statue of him. Because it went against everything that he taught, didn't it? Everything that he preached. Remember Peter and John there in Acts chapter 3, they're at the temple. And, they, and remember they, they heal that guy who was paralyzed. And remember he gets up and it says that he's, that he's leaping and he's praising the Lord. And, and people gather around and they're amazed. And, and the people begin to, 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 to want to worship Peter. And Peter tells the crowd, he says, look, we're pretty amazing. You can go down, bow down just a little bit. You can kiss my hand just a little bit if you want to. Right, no, he says, why stared us is that we made this man walk by our own power and godliness. Peter says, look, it wasn't us, it wasn't me. I'm a fisherman. I can't do this. This was God. The same thing here. Peter doesn't try to take any of the glory or any of the credit for what happened. He says, this was God. Stand up. Don't worship me, Peter says. I'm a man just like you. If you get a big check in the mail, you don't fall down and worship the mailman, do you? Right? You thank the one who sent the check. And that's what Peter is saying. Look, it wasn't us. I didn't do anything. I, I, I'm just here. It's the Lord. So Peter and Cornelius, they talk a little bit. And then they go inside where all the people are gathered. And again, you can sense that there's this air of, of excitement and anticipation. And you have to remember the, the historical context, Right? You know, we live in a day and age where it's like, what do you want to do tonight? Well, let's go to a movie. No, I want to go to a concert. No, I was thinking about just staying home and playing video games. Well, that's fine because I need to watch some cat videos on YouTube anyway. Right? I need to update my, my Instagram account. Right? We have so much entertainment all around us. We have so many distractions around us all the time that we have, to, right, we have to make a decision on how we want to entertain ourselves because we have so many options. But these guys didn't have that going on. They didn't have a lot of entertainment options going on in that day. They didn't have to update their statuses. They didn't have to, to check in to Cornelius' house on Facebook during Peter's talk. But they were focused. Right? Peter had their full attention Verse 28, it says, He said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why have you sent for me? So Peter addresses the crowd. And he starts in kind of an interesting way. He doesn't say, hey, guys, I'm glad to be here. Good to see you guys this morning. He says, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. I really shouldn't be here. It's against the law for me to associate with you guys because you're pagans, you're unclean, you're Gentiles. You know, and I'm I'm a Jew. I'm one of God's chosen people. And remember, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, Sort of the prevailing attitude of the day among the Jews was that the Gentiles, their sole purpose was to fuel the fires of hell. And so Peter says, you know, it's, I'm not supposed to be here. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And we talked about this at length last week. But God has shown me Peter says, but God has shown me that there should be no racial divides in the church. God has shown me that, that one people group is not better than another. God has shown me that the gospel is freely available to all who would believe. This broken, fallen, sinful world that we live in is full of people who think they're better than other people, aren't they? A lot of people think they're better than other people based on culture, based on race, based on social or economic statuses. And we see this so much in the news today, these racial issues, the media trying to pit one racial group against another. And there's so many prejudices and so much pride and ignorance. And we talked about last week how, 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 how so much of this, we view it as a, a black versus white issue in our minds. But the issue really is, is so much bigger than that. And, and, and here's a, a question. How do you, how do you view you know, Muslims or Arabs or Asians or Indians or Africans or Eastern Europeans or, or anyone who's not like you? For a lot of people, prejudices don't necessarily even manifest themselves in race, but more in, in culture. A lot of people are, are cool with white people or Hispanics or black people or Asians or, or anybody who's, who's from your same culture and has your same worldview and, you know, and, and likes the same food and, and, and shares the same religion and watches the same movies. But people who talk different, or eat different, or dress different. It's very easy to start to discriminate in your hearts against those people. And those kind of prejudices, they don't even have to be overt. Sometimes they can manifest themselves with with a smile and pleasantry even. You know, and you think, wow, I, I was nice to them. I'm such a good person. But what feelings is your heart harboring towards people who are different? You know, redneck racists who wear a white hat or, or, or Black Panthers or, or, you know, those kind of groups, they're very easy to identify, right? But here's the reality. Prejudice is prejudice no matter how well you dress it up when you take it out, right? Sometimes we just have a different criteria for choosing who we're going to discriminate against. But regardless, when we harbor those attitudes in our heart, it's sin. You know, and we as Christians, we, we all the time, we say, you know, the gospel transcends race, all that, you know, Jesus died for everybody, But the things that we say and the things that we do don't always line up, do they? Man, That's wrong. And Peter's addressing that here. He says, look, Jesus didn't die for the Jews only or for the Gentiles only. He died for the sins of humanity. He died for all of us so that we could find new life in him, so we could find hope and peace and restoration in him. And we need to learn to reflect that attitude, the attitude of the Father. For God so loved the world, everyone, not just a, a select people group. Remember last week we looked at, at Romans 10, 11. It says, for Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we talked about Genesis 1. How each one of us, we're all created in the image of God. We're all image bearers of God. We're all lost sinners for whom Christ died. And that's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Now listen, here's what I appreciate about this passage in Acts 10. One of the things that I appreciate. We see here that Peter had harbored these attitudes and biases towards other people. And I'm not going so far as to say that Peter was a racist, but, but he definitely had some prejudices and some biases in his heart. But the Lord revealed the issue, and Peter repented. The Lord revealed the issue, and Peter changed. He didn't stay the way he was. And you know what? We might find ourselves this morning with with some ungodly attitudes towards other cultures or other people groups. But we can repent of those things and ask God to change our hearts. And we can take steps to engage people who are different than us and to love them. And when those old attitudes start to creep back in, we can repent again and continue down that path. Peter says, but God has shown me that I was wrong in my way of thinking. God has shown me that I was wrong in my views of race. God has shown me that my heart was wrong when I looked down on other people. Peter says, we thought we were better than you guys, but we were wrong. And the Lord revealed that, Peter says, so I have come to you. In verse 30, Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before the Lord. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius says, I was in prayer and fasting, an angel appeared to me. And he says, your prayers have been heard. I've seen your, your heart for God, and I've seen your care for people. So here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to go find Peter and Joppa. He has a message for you. And so Cornelius says, look, here you are, here we are. So what's the message? What's the word? What do you have for us, Peter? And so Peter, verse 34, opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him And does what is right, is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Look at verse 34. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God doesn't show favoritism. Now, the Jews are God's chosen people, his special people. But that doesn't mean that they get special treatment. God accepts those who fear him and do what is right, it says. And Peter says, the message for Israel was this, that there's peace through Jesus Christ. Right? That's the gospel message. Through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we can find peace with God. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can be restored. We can be made whole. The Jews, Peter says, heard this message first simply because the message had to start somewhere, right? It started in Jerusalem and went out. And He says, you've heard all that Jesus said and did and that God was with him. And he says in verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he both did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness. That everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter says this. He says, Look, I was there. I was an eyewitness. I was was one of the twelve. Right? We saw the whole thing. We, We saw the miracles. We saw the teachings. We we knew Jesus personally. Peter says, Look, I was there when he turned the water into wine. I was there when he walked on water. I heard the the sermon on the mount with my own ears. I was there when they, they put Jesus to death on the cross. I saw him rise from the dead on the third day. He says, we're witnesses. We know Jesus. We ate and drank with him after the resurrection. And Peter says, before he ascended back into heaven, he commanded us to go everywhere. And to preach to everyone. To make disciples of all nations. He says Jesus is the one that the prophets foretold. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter says everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be forgiven of their sins. Through the name of Jesus, through the power of the blood shed on the cross. We receive forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still saying these things, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers who among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So look at this. Peter begins to preach, and he doesn't even get to finish his sermon. And the Holy Spirit falls on this group of Gentiles. It's like the Lord couldn't wait to get the party started. And it's just like at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fills on these people. And it says those of the circumcision, right, the Jewish Christians, they were amazed that God was moving among the Gentiles. That it wasn't just them, that it wasn't just a a Hebrew thing. And look, the people were speaking in tongues just like on Pentecost. They had the gift of the Spirit just like at Pentecost. And I don't think it's by accident that this looked just like Pentecost. I think that the Lord did it this way to firmly establish in the hearts of these Jewish believers that the church was expanding. That it was no longer just a a Jewish thing. He was removing all doubt he was removing any question that this was a genuine move of God. He was making it perfectly clear that this was a movement of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says to the guys that are with him, says, is there any reason why we shouldn't baptize these guys right now? He says, look, they received the same salvation we did. They received the same Holy Spirit that we did. They're born again just like we are. And so they took these Gentiles out, and they baptized them. And it says that Peter and the other believers stayed with them for a while, instructing them in the faith. This passage, this message is so important to us for two reasons, I think. One theological and one practical. First, theologically, as we established last week, right? None of us here are Jews, unless we have some new visitors or something. Right? This is when the doors were open to the Gentile world. This is when the Lord made it clear that the message of the gospel wasn't for the Jews only, that salvation was equally available to all men, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Practically, it's important for us because it forces us as believers to look at the attitudes that we have towards other people. The the thoughts that we have towards other cultures or other ethnicities or other, other, you know, whatever. How do we, how do you view people? Do you view people as loved by God? Do you, maybe just a little bit, look down on other people groups? Do you think that somehow your little group is maybe just just a little bit better of a little bit more value than other people? Peter says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person uncommon or unclean. Lastly, this is a a good reminder of the great commission that we've been given. We, as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to take this gift that we've been given, the gospel message, and to share it with the world around us. And and this gospel message, it really does transcend race and culture and creed and, and sex and economics and all those things. It is the power of God for the salvation of all men. Of all humanity and because of that because Jesus died to save all humanity and the gospel has the power to save all humanity we're called to share it with all humanity and we right now we find ourselves in a very unique season don't we there are a lot of people right now who are hurting there are a lot of people who are confused There are a lot of people who are lacking hope. This is a a, a, a dark and desperate time for many people. And as you know, there are are new lockdown measures going to affect tomorrow. And and, and these new restrictions, they could be the final straw for a lot of people who are locked in and alone. And here's the thing. We have the answer. We have hope. We need to unleash it. We need to unleash the word of God. We need to unleash the gospel message and let it do its work. And and here's the cool thing about the gospel. The more you share it, the more you have of it. Right? The more you send it out, the more you send the gospel message out, the more you get to experience the goodness of God in your life as you see him moving in the and the hearts and the lives of people around you. And I want to encourage you this holiday season. Let this be the season for boldness and for clarity. Let this be the season where you proclaim the name of Jesus to everyone around you. And lastly, I want you to do this. And this is something you can do right now. I know you have your phones because I already saw you out putting in the church address. I want you to take an inventory right now of the people who you haven't seen lately, whether at church or at work or wherever. Who's missing? Who's trapped at home right now? Actually, take out your phones right now and do this. Make a list of people... That you can check on, and that you can contact, and make sure that that they know that you're thinking of them, and that you're praying for them, and that they're loved and that they're missed. And second, we're going to pray in just a minute, and I'm going to ask the Lord to show each one of us a couple people that He would like us to be praying for, and that He would like us to share our faith with during this holiday season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that very thing right now, Father. I pray for each one of us here that you would just bring to our hearts and minds somebody that you would, that you would have us share with, Lord. Just bring into our minds, eye a, a couple of names of people that we can continue to lift up and that we can share a reason for the hope that's within us, Lord. And we pray that you would just give us consistency and boldness to, to share our faith with those people, Father. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Guys, if, as we just prayed, if the Lord puts somebody specific on your heart, if somebody's name or image popped into your mind, take your phone out and write that name down. Don't forget. Don't let that go away. The Lord has put that person in your heart for a reason. That person needs to hear the gospel message. They need to hear that message of hope. They need to hear the good news that's available to them. Because you don't know how close they might be to doing something drastic during this time. I encourage you guys to be faithful and to be responsible and to be good stewards with the gift that you've been given and the message that you've been entrusted to. Be blessed today, guys.
1: Amen. Let's stand. Let's respond to this. so good to me before I took a breath you bring your You guys to know that whatever you hear, it's a lie. Alright, we're gonna continue to worship. You know, because we have been we have been created to worship. That is what's what is unique about each of us. Intimately and wonderfully made by the Lord our oh God, amen. To create and worship through song, through art. We will continue to give praise to the Lord, amen. Love deep